You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast. So we're going to walk in freedom, seeing God, seeing ourselves from God's perspective. The top of your notes, it says, God, by his grace, has given us freedom, but it's up to us to embrace it. Do you remember the bird in the cage story? For those of you that remember this cage, our soul has escaped like a bird out of the snare of the trapper. Jesus came along, he opened up the cage, he, the veil was torn, made a way of escape for us. God woos us out by his spirit to freedom. But in the story, if you remember the story about the bird being in the cage, there was the boy who really represented an enemy, Satan, who was poking and tormenting and harassing the bird. It's really a picture of our life being in a cage, being trapped, tormented, being poked, being discouraged, being made fun of. And when we realize that Jesus has set us free from that, we're walking in freedom. But guess what? There's still some wounds left from that poking. And there's some healing that's needed from that prodding and from that pain that we went through when we were trapped. So today's message is really talking about walking in the freedom and allowing that healing process to continue because really it's going to continue all the way until we, until we get home to heaven. There's never going to be a place of perfection here on earth. It's, it's a continual process. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, you're a work in process. Now that's enough. That's it. You know, you don't have to keep going on that, you know. Some of you are like, boy, you're really a work in... No, no, no. That's not what I said. Just nicely say you're a work in process. This isn't the time to say, honey, did you hear that? I've been telling you that all along. <laughs> so now what? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Great, or three, 16 to 18. I'm going to ask you to read this together with me. But whenever anyone turns... Oh, let's, let's do it again. Everyone at but... But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, then the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, He gives freedom. And all of us have had that veil removed so that we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him and reflect his glory even more. You see there in that verse, it's talking about a process. And the process is this, is that we actually are a reflection of God's glory. Imagine, he trusts us with his very being and trusts us that we would reflect him well. And so we're in this process of mirroring his glory. And as he does more and more in our life and frees us, and we are able to walk in that freedom guess what? He gets the glory for it. It's not, it's not about us. It's about giving him more glory. So that's what we're going to talk about today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.17 is a great verse because it says, if any man be in Christ, old things pass away. Behold, all has become new. Well, that's a great verse, but you know, God's given us a new identity. The problem is most of us don't know it yet. And when he came into your life and he came into my life that new person, that new creation, old things passed away. Behold, all became new. What became new? The inner you became new. The, your spirit man became, you, became new. It's that place where he resides. It's the, the place that will one day go and spend eternity with him in heaven. It's that inside, the real you. 
after I gave my heart to the Lord, I looked in the mirror, my hair, my hair didn't turn black. I, I didn't lose 10 pounds. You know, none of that changed is exactly the same. I looked the same on the outside. My spirit man was new. I knew I was a new creature. I felt it. But there's another part of us that goes through this renewal continual process and that verse that we just read, and that's our mind. And in the area of our mind, will, and emotions, we have this pattern already set. And it's at that place that we haven't quite, our mind hasn't quite caught up to what's taken place on the inside of us. There's a couple of things that we're going to review today about our identity. And we're going to talk about who we are in Christ because it destroys our feelings of inferiority. We're going to talk about where we are in Christ because it destroys feelings of insecurity. And we're going to talk about what we have in Christ because it destroys the inadequacy that we can feel. There's a great story in a book called Becoming Spiritually Beautiful by Sharon Janes. And she talks about this young woman, and her name's Mari. And I think there may be one one or two of you that could relate to this. Listen to this. Little Mari was told at an early age that she was stupid, ugly, and clumsy. Her ears looked like wings, her teeth looked like a 20-car pileup, and her legs looked like flamingos. In the fourth grade, she got Coke bottle glasses. Poor thing. Oh, I had those for a while. And kids called her four eyes on the playground when teachers weren't close enough to hear. One day in geography class, the room erupted with laughter when she incorrectly answered that Philadelphia was the nation's capital. Seven years later, as a high school junior, Mari's head had grown to catch up to her ears. The orthodontist had done a stellar job of providing her with perfectly aligned white teeth, and blue contact lenses now accentuated the aquamarine hue of her eyes. She's inducted into the National Honor Society, scores 15-20 on her SAT test. And yet, when Mari walks into a room full of people, she feels like an awkward fourth grader, with the big ears, skinny legs, thick glasses that was laughed at in geography class. Even though she's a beautiful, intelligent young woman, that negative, self-degrading filter is still in place, and deception is the glue that holds it. She doesn't really see herself for who she is. Now let's just pretend that Mari goes to a church retreat, hears the good news of Jesus for the very first time. Let's say she makes a profession of faith. She accepts Jesus as her Savior and begins the journey of making him the Lord of every aspect of her life. What happened to that negative filter that it was cemented over her mind? Does it immediately disappear because she's a Christian? No, it doesn't. In fact, she probably doesn't even know it's there. Even though Mari is a beloved child of God, holy and dearly loved, unless she removes that negative filter by renewing her mind, she will most likely continue to feel inferior, insecure, and inadequate. Only now, she may heap guilt on top of all that for not feeling even more victory and peace in her new Christian faith. She was spiritually transformed, but she just didn't know it. There's a story that follows that about two young boys who were uh, watching a chicken with its head cut off. If you've ever been on a farm when they're butchering chicken, and I know it sounds really gross, but hey, a lot of us are going to go have a nice chicken lunch right after this. And there was some chicken that sacrificed his neck, literally, for you. And... um, so there was these two little boys that were watching this chicken run around with its head, head cut off, and they were arguing, I think he's dead. No, I think he's alive. No, I think he's dead. No, I think he's alive. And there was an old farmer that came up and said, hey, boys, what are you talking about? So they asked him the question. The old farmer scratched his chin, pondered the situation, and finally spoke. Well, best I figure, the chicken is dead, 
He just doesn't know it yet. (laughs) And that pretty much describes Christians. It described me, the author of the book, for 15 years after I became a born-again Christian. My old self was dead. I just didn't know it yet. I had the Spirit of Jesus Christ living in me, through me. I just didn't know it yet. I was a saint and the salt of the earth, holy and dearly loved. I just didn't know it yet. So hopefully today's message will help us get from the place of, I just didn't know it yet, to, I think I got it. I think I can see now who God created me to be. The first one that we are going to talk about, believing who we are in Christ destroys feelings of inferiority. Last week we talked about Ephesians chapter 1. There's a great uh, prayer in the first chapter of Ephesians, and it talks about, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. Why? So you can know what the hope of your calling is. It's a great prayer to pray for yourself or even to pray for somebody else. What's he talking about there? The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Well, it's not your natural eyes. It's our spiritual eyes that the veil is removed, that we can actually see things for the way that they are. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 is such a great verse. Long ago, even before he made the world, God. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved what? He loved us. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose. Chose who? Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ. In Christ? Why? To be holy. To be holy and? To be holy and without fault? So he chose us to be holy and without fault? Where? In his eyes. That is a powerful verse. He chose you and I. You could put your name in there. You could put someone else's name. I could put my name. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved Cheryl and chose Cheryl in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. That's powerful. And it's good to put your name in there because that's what he sees. Sometimes when we do us, it just is general. It's everybody but me. No, it is you. And it's Ephesians, God's giving us that word to encourage us. And at the end of that verse, he says what? This gives him great pleasure. What gives him great pleasure when we get it? When we see how important we really are to him and what he did for us. Believing that where we are in Christ destroys feelings of insecurity. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 says that he raised us from the dead along with Christ and we are seated with him in heavenly places all because we are one with Christ. That insecurity, that inferiority, that sense of like I'm not good enough... uh, You've heard Pastor Dave talk about being playing the baseball on the baseball team and not, never wanting to be the last one picked, you know, in school where there's two team captains, A, Team A, and Team B, and they get to say, I want you, Team A, uh, I pick you, Team B, uh, I pick you, I pick you. Nobody wants to be last. Well, I went to a number of schools in my years of, of schooling, and uh, in grade nine, I was at a new school in my junior high from February to June. It's the only time I even went to school with these kids, and... Sure enough, it's spring, it's baseball season, and we're out on the field, and we all are picked. Well, there's me and Margaret Parsons. And Margaret's like, I hope you don't get picked last. And, she, and I'm like, I hope you don't get picked last. Well, I got picked last. And so I was so, was so great because I got picked last, and they put me way out in Enfield, and I just kept walking till I was like to the end of the playground because I knew there would be no grade niner that could ever get a ball out there. And I just would stand out there and, and wait and wait until 
the game was over and I got a good mark in PE and that's all I wanted at that point. So, <laughs> But we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. This is a really important scripture. I'll tell you why. It's because when things are going on, when life stuff is happening and there's somebody at work and it's just like, man, God, did you bring me this person just as an aggravation? Is this person just meant to, to be the person that is the thorn in my side? Or is there a situation that's going on financially or health-wise or in your home and it just feels like, oh, I just, I don't know how to pray for this. I don't know how to get beyond this. What we normally do is we pray this way. And we just say, God, I'm, I'm right in the midst of it. I'm, I'm in the thick of this situation, and I can't see beyond it. God, help me get out of this. I don't know what else to do. Why does this person talk to me like this? Don't they understand I'm trying my best? Don't they think that I, the, they think I can't do better than this? Why do they harass me like this? And we're looking at it like this, and we can't see beyond it. Then this verse comes along, and it says, we're what? We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are now looking at things from a totally different perspective. Why is that so important? Because now we see down on the situation rather than this, because we can't see clearly. The minute we recognize our place with Christ, we say, God, help me now to see this from your perspective. That's what's going on in that person's life. I thought they were attacking me. But I have compassion on them because you're just showing me there's some other stuff going on in their life. They're really struggling. They're in a really hard place. And I thought it was all about me and I couldn't see it. And you start to pray for that person differently. You start to treat that person differently. Now they're not your thorn in the side anymore. Now you have the compassion of Christ where you're seated and you're able to see it a little bit differently than you did before. And instead of attacking people, you start to see people from a different perspective. If you're going to attack anybody, you attack your enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. God never sent us to attack the saints or to attack other people. He said, you don't wrestle flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. And woe to us when we attack people, when people are not our ultimate problem. Satan is. And if we actually deal with it from this place and from heavenly places, you can say, oh, I see what you're doing, Satan. I see how you're harassing this person. I see how you've entered into my home over here. No, enough is enough. And you can see it from God's perspective. It's so much more encouraging than trying to do it on your own. So believing where we are destroys feelings of insecurity. Believing what we have in Christ destroys feelings of inadequacy, knowing that God has given us more than enough. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, How we praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with what? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Because why? We belong to Christ. That's the only reason. He says, I'm going to give these to you because you belong to Christ. I'm going to hand these over to you. And it's so good to know that we don't have to walk in this feeling of inadequacy, but rather we can be adequate in him. Speaking of inadequacy, I, I know what inadequacy feels like. When I was in grade nine, youth group, church youth group, we all went on a swim event. And uh, I wasn't a swimmer. I was never around water. I mean, I was around water, but I never, I never learned to swim. And so... 
boys being 15-year-old boys, uh, were picking up the girls and throwing them in the deep end. And so four guys would come along, and each would take an arm and a leg and swing the girl and dump her into the, into the like, ha-ha, isn't this funny, right? And um, uh, I said that earlier, that there were some teens in there, and they thought, man, that is awesome. That was great. I don't know, I think I gave them an idea. And so I, I went into this pool, and I couldn't swim. And I was, I came up flailing, and I made sure I was never around, I never went to any swimming events, I never did anything like that with my school friends or with my church youth group again. Fast forward to grade, end of grade 12 or grade 12, my senior year, I had learned how to swim, I was swimming every day, I was running every day, completely different scenario than I was in grade 9, and here I am now, I'm off to Bible college. I come out to Bible college a couple provinces away, and lo and behold, one of the guys from my previous youth group from another, when I lived in, in Alberta in grade nine, was also at the Bible college with me. So guess what they do with the freshmen at Bible college? Let's all get to know each other by doing what? Go swimming. So we went swimming. And sure enough, boys don't change much from age 15 to 18. <laughs> Because now there's a bunch of 18-year-old guys thinking, hey, it'd be really fun if we just take the girls and swing them into the deep end. So, And again, I was caught in the swing and thrown into the deep end. Well, this young guy that had been a part of my youth group three years earlier, I came up out of the water, and he's like, she can't swim! She can't swim! And he was, he was so sweet. And... Um, no, it was just that. That's all it was. He was just a nice guy. I heard a couple of you thinking now. Uh-uh. Just a nice guy, okay? And wasn't my husband. That would have been a really sweet... If that would have been you, I would have gone, Aw. I, but not this guy, no. No. He was just a nice guy. And... Uh, and so just the difference of feeling adequate, that I could, be a, I could participate, I could be a part of what was happening. And you know, that's what God wants us to be in the spiritual realm. He wants us to feel adequate as believers. He wants us to feel adequate with the spiritual blessings that he's given to us, that we know how to handle them, that we can do well for him, that we are actually mirroring his glory and say, God, to the best of my ability, when I put my head on the pillow at night, I live my, I live my life today to the best of my ability to serve you. And I know it wasn't perfect, but I did it for you, Jesus. Take it. So that's, that's a great verse, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. So what's the process in going through this? It's actually quite simple. Recognize, first of all, God, uh, Satan's lies. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 in the Good News translation says, I don't want Satan to outwit, outwit us. After all, we are not ignorant about Satan's schemes. John 8, Jesus, who is so amazing at just cutting to the edge and just going through everything and saying, I'm just going to tell you the way it is. And he tells us and gives us a description of our enemy. And he says this, he, Satan, was a murderer from the beginning and has always hated the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character for he's a liar and he is the father of all lies. So we need to recognize Satan when it's Satan lying to us. We need that aha moment when we know that thought, I don't have to think that. I don't have to accept that. Hey, just a minute. That was the old person. That was a 2 Corinthians 5.17 person. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. I used to think like that. I don't have to think like that anymore. 
Maybe this happened to you or someone you know that after they gave their heart to the Lord, all of a sudden your language changed. And it wasn't because you really were going to purpose now to clean up your language or that person was really purposing now I'm going to talk right. It was just it was just a natural thing to do. It started happening. Why? Because you recognize that, no, that's not who I am anymore. And we need to recognize Satan's lies. Number two, we need to reject the lies. We do not have to receive them. When our children were young, and they would have thoughts of just, especially inadequacy and, and feeling like, oh, I can't do that, or this person said this about me, and they said I could never do that. And I'd say, you know what? You don't have to receive that. You don't have to accept everything that everybody ever says about you. Guess what? If it doesn't line up with God's word, you don't have to receive it. And you can just say, I don't receive that. And you don't have to say it out loud. You can just say it between you and the Lord. Reminds me of of, uh, rejecting the lies of a story of a woman who had a door-to-door vacuum salesman come to her door. And I know we don't do that anymore, but bear with me. Think back. Go back a couple of, okay, a few decades when they did that. And uh, so this door-to-door salesman who was really, really, he needed, a, he needed his sales. It was, his life was depending on it. And he knocked at this woman's door. And she just, you know, it was the day before peepholes. And she didn't even look. She just swung open her door. And he walked right in with all of his paraphernalia. And, and part of it was this cup or huge cup of dirt and trash. And before she knew it, he had thrown that entire cup of dirt and trash all over her carpet and was schmucking it into the carpet and just making it really dirty. And she's like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm going to show you what type of product I, I'm selling and I think you need it. And so this carpet is all messy. It took an hour to get the guy out of the door. Finally, he's gone. She closes the door and she says, what in the world was I thinking? Now, wouldn't it have been much easier for this woman if at the threshold of that door, she would have said, no, thank you, and just closed it. And that's a good picture of what we do with thoughts that Satan throws at us. If we can just catch those thoughts at the threshold of our mind, and we can say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going there. I don't think like that. I have the mind of Christ, and I hold the thoughts, the feelings, and purposes of his heart. I don't need that in my life. And you don't have to say thank you very much. You can just shut the door and say, no. I'm not doing that in Jesus' name. I'm not going there. Maybe we have opened the door and let that trash and that junk has come in and we're in the process of being cleaned up. Eventually, it will get out the door. It will leave. But at least set a standard now to say, you know what, I've had enough junk. I've had enough trash. I've had enough garbage in my mind. I don't need any more. I'm in the process now of getting that out and I'm not letting any more in. Here's a great illustration to help define that point. And I need one volunteer to help me with this. He will? He's good? Yeah? Okay, I'll take your word for it. You're really good. You don't mind if I pour water on your head then? You're okay? Okay, good. Good. Yeah, yeah. Good. I'm Cheryl. Ginger, nice, nice to meet yeah. you as well. Do you normally come to the 11 o'clock service? Uh, once. Once. This is your second time. Well, welcome here. So jumping with my head. No, no, you don't have to put your head. All you need to do is pick up that bowl. Yeah. yeah, just hold that bowl. And then I'm going to ask you to hold this cup about here. That's all I need you to do. Simple, yeah. right? This cup of, of dark coffee is a representation of our thought life. And it can be murky and cloudy, confusing, and we don't understand 
There's just a lot of junk in there. And whatever thought has come through, whatever anybody has said, we've just taken that, we've, we've absorbed it, we're thinking about it, and now we're actually even digesting it and spewing it back. It's actually become who we are. And here is this, so that's your mind. Yeah. Well, not maybe yours, yeah. but the, yeah. Yeah, in general, yes. It was definitely mine. That was mine. This, yeah, this was, this was definitely me. Then you hear the good news of the gospel and you hit the purity of God's word. And you know what? It starts to displace. I'll put it a little bit closer to the... Yeah, there you go. It starts to displace. Yeah, there you go. Those thoughts. And eventually, it starts to clear that murky water. And it gets clearer, not overnight, process. Didn't happen the day you got born again. Didn't happen the day you were water baptized. It's a process. God's just renewing your mind, cleaning it up, cleaning us up so that we can think more like him. I'm going to pour a little bit out. Thank you very much. You can put it down. And may not be all the way clear, but it sure is a whole lot clearer than it used to be. And none of us will have a completely clear cup while we're here on earth. But at this point... God's working in our lives and allowing us to think his thoughts. Thank you so much. No, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much. Give him a hand for helping. The verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 is so important. Though we're in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. For the weapons of our warfare, another translation say, are not carnal, but they are mighty in the pulling down of strongholds. They actually have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought captive. 1981, I was 23 years old. My husband and I got this. It was like a revelation. We got that aha moment, that every thought that went into our head, we could actually capture it and line it up with God's word. And so we made a a little agreement between the two of us to keep each other accountable. And we said, if you have a thought, do I have a thought that is contrary to God's word, we're giving each other the right to say, I cast that thought down and take it captive to, to the obedience of Christ without asking anything about it. You don't have to say, well, what were you just thinking? Nothing like that. We, were just, we could just say it. We were traveling from the eastern states up to western Canada, so it was a long trip. I thought, oh, you know what, we'll say this back and forth maybe, I don't know, two, three times maybe in the day. No, it was hundreds. If you would have been in the back seat of the car, all you would have heard was, I cast that thought down and I take it captive to the obedience of Christ. I cast that thought down and I take it captive to the obedience of Christ. Ah, I cast that thought down and take it captive to the obedience of Christ. I can't believe I'm saying this again, but I cast that thought down and take it captive to the obedience of Christ. That took a process of months and not that you're ever done. It's not as much as it used to be, which is a good thing. It shouldn't be. You continue doing that until we can align our thoughts with God's thoughts. That's what that verse is telling us. We don't have to accept every lie of inadequacy and inferiority. Remember the first verse? How does he see us? He sees us as holy. He sees us as blameless. And then you start filtering those thoughts through that, and you go, hey, that doesn't line up. That's not true. Third one is replace lies with truth. Just like we saw in this 
in this illustration about replacing truth with those lies, Jesus had to do this. Do you know that uh, Jesus had to say, when those thoughts came to him, when he was in the wilderness and Satan said, you know, if you really are the son of God, it is written. And he had his, well, of course, his mind wasn't like this. It was clear. And uh, he was able to speak back. And we aren't above our master. That's what we do. That's how we say it back. I cast that thought down and I take it captive to the beings of Christ in Jesus' name and replace then, it is written. What is it? It is written. A verse, a scripture. What does God's word say about it? Replace it with his thoughts. Neil Anderson has a great quote. You don't have to outshout him, Satan, or outmuscle him to be free from his influence. You just have to out-truth him. On the next page, Sharon Jane's again in this book, Becoming Spiritual, Spiritually Beautiful, lists a number of Satan's lies and then a number of uh, where God's truth, how it counteracts that. Everything we do in the kingdom of God, everything is by faith. Everything, including this. This is by faith. That's why it's a process. Hebrews 11.1, one of my very, very favorite verses. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Oh, okay, that's a nice verse. No, stop and think about this. Faith is substance. Faith is real. Faith is a substance of what? How do I know what it is? It's things hoped for. Evidence of things not seen. It almost doesn't make sense. What the verse is saying, that anything that you really put your faith into eventually will be, come out of the invisible realm into the visible. It'll come from the spirit realm into the natural realm. That's what faith does. And your faith and my faith actually produce tangible results, including the thoughts that we think and the process of thinking in our mind. It takes faith. It takes time to just go, I'm going to do this, and I, and I can do it, because greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. If you've ever had a cast on your leg, you know when that cast comes off, that one set of, of muscles is just skinny and small, and it needs to be worked on, built up. That's what faith is like. Some of you have just got these weak, it's like, it's like your faith has been in a cast. And you're taking the cast off and you're saying, I'm shaking this off now and I'm actually going to use my faith the way God wants me to. For others, it's like, man, you're, you're the, the chin-up cha- champion in faith and your muscle, your faith muscle is strong and it's mighty and other people pull on that. You can carry other people on your back and you can, you can do great things. Well, it doesn't matter where we are in that faith walk or where we're at. The most important thing is that we're using it and we don't let it just sit and have atrophy. Here's some of Satan's lies. Number one, it says, I am a loser. I'm not going to go through all of them. I am a loser. I can't do anything right. Interesting that it's using the word I because that's eventually when we've accepted it, that's where it's at. When, when Satan came to the garden as a serpent to Adam and Eve, mainly to Eve, when he came to her, he didn't say, he, he didn't say she didn't say, oh, I'm, I'm not supposed to do this. He came and he said, are you really, did God really say you're not supposed to eat from every tree in the garden? What did he use? He used the word you. When he tempted Jesus, what did he say? He says, if you really are the son of God, if you are really the son of God, every one of us get tempted with the use. Do you really think you could get that job? Do you really think you're qualified? Do you really think you could go get that kind of education or those kind of marks? Do you really think that you deserve that kind of marriage? Do you really think that your kids, that you can train them up in the way that they should? you really think you can do that? Do you really think that you have something to offer the body of Christ and serving in God's house? Do you really think that? All of us get those thoughts. Everybody. 
The difference is, is when we internalize them and we take them. We take them over that threshold, and when they come over the threshold, they become I. I can't do that. I really don't think I'm able. What was I thinking that I could even apply for that kind of job? Oh, I could never have that kind of marriage. Not after what I've done. No, I can't have that. You see what the change, what's just happened? Now we've taken that thought and we've made it ours. So on this piece of paper, there are some verses that counteract those kind of thoughts. And as you look through those, there might be one or two on there. There might be more. There might not be any. But there might be something here that you can say, you know what, I, I have that. And I've, I've made it mine. I can't help myself. That's one of them. I, I just can't do it. Well, James 4, 7 says to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So you can do it. And so I'm, I can't do this. I, I'm, I'm not any different. I'm just like I was before I was a Christian. No, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. No, you're a new creature in Christ. So you are. And here's a lie. It's not on here. But this is definitely a lie. It was way easier before I became a Christian. That's one of his oldest and biggest lies, and that's exactly what it is. It's a lie. You now have the spirit of the living God living inside you to be an overcomer that you did not have before. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. The situation sometimes, you know, now your spiritual eyes are just open to it, but you don't have to walk on that place alone. In fact, you can hide yourself in Christ. And you can get in this place that is so amazing. Psalm 91 says that you can actually hide yourself in a secret place. Have you ever played hide and seek? And I'm sure you did when you were a kid and maybe even not when you were a kid. Uh, A couple weeks ago, Thanksgiving, my oldest uh, niece's oldest son, I I haven't seen, we don't see a lot of each other, but he came up to me and I was in the kitchen and he said, will you play hide and seek with me? And I'm thinking, aw, this seven-year-old wants to play hide-and-seek with me. This is great. I think I'm just a kid by heart. And it's like, yeah, I want to play hide-and-seek. I said, well, you know what? I'm going to eat first, and then I'll play hide-and-seek with you. And then a little bit later on, I was sitting with our 15-year-old daughter, and he came up to her, and he says, are you ready to play hide-and-seek yet? So I, I think he thought I was her. He obviously didn't look very closely. And he's, oh, man, it wasn't me he wanted to play with. He wanted to play with her. And then he walked over five minutes later to our oldest daughter, and said, are you ready yet? It's like, okay, there's something going on here. So I said to him, I said, who exactly do you want to play hide and seek with? Is it me or is it Lacey? He goes, it's so confusing. You're all blonde. <laughs> so you go to this hiding place. And you just, you, what you want to do is you want to confuse Satan. Get into this hiding place with God. I did land up playing with him, and I had this awesome hiding spot. And you want to get in that place so that he can't find you. He can never find you in the presence of Christ. When you are hidden with Christ, that's it. You are hidden with Christ. He, boundary, he can't get past that. And so it's a good place to be in when you're going through verses. How do we know? What's the litmus test to know whether or not I'm actually thinking thoughts that line up with God's word? Philippians chapter 4. Paul gives us a great lineup. It's not on your notes, but Philippians chapter 4. Think on those things that are what? There's eight different things to think on. Those Think on those things that are what? True, pure, lovely, good report, deserving, uh, uh, praiseworthy. And he goes through these things of what to, what to think on and to meditate on. One translation says to dwell on these things. And that's our little litmus test to say, okay, is this lining up? Is this really true? Is it praiseworthy? Is it noble? Is it something I could pass on to somebody else and it would be a good report? So he, he gives us 
uh, the ability to be able to see what our thinking should be like. And then in closing, rest in the victory that God has given you. Isaiah 26, 3, you being God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And again, you can put your name in there. God will keep Cheryl in perfect peace because Cheryl's mind is stayed on you because Cheryl trusts in you. Put your name in there. And it makes it personal. That's what God's promise is for you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org